Welcome to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Molly Watts. If you want to change your drinking habits and create a peaceful relationship with alcohol, you're in the right place. This podcast explores the strategies I use to overcome a lifetime of family alcohol abuse, more than 30 years of anxiety and worry about my own drinking, and what felt like an unbreakable daily drinking habit. Becoming an alcohol minimalist means removing excess alcohol from your life so it doesn't remove you from life. It means being able to take alcohol or leave it without feeling deprived. It means to live peacefully, being able to enjoy a glass of wine without feeling guilty and without needing to finish the bottle. With science on our side, we'll shatter your past patterns and eliminate your excuses. Changing your relationship with alcohol is possible. I'm here to help you do it. Let's start now. Well, hello and welcome or welcome back to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast with me, your host, Molly Watts, coming to you from very cold, chilly Oregon, but it is crystal clear. There is frost on the rooftops this morning and the leaves are gold, yellow, orange, and it is the height of fall, height of autumn. And we have been in a dry pattern for the last week. Can you believe it? According to the forecast, we're not predicted for rain for the, for this week either. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I don't know. But it is cold, but it is beautiful, blue, sunny skies in the afternoons and uh, really enjoying this time in the Pacific Northwest. The rains will come. I promise they will come. They came in October. They'll come again. But right now I am enjoying this cold, clear, crisp time of year. Today on the show, I am talking to another fellow Pacific Northwesterner. Uh, Cassie Christopher is a registered dietitian. She is based up out of the Seattle area and is a fellow coach and uh, someone I got connected with through a business mentorship that we both do. Cassie is awesome, and I love her take on working with women who are trying to shed some body weight and also shed some body image ideas. And I wanted to get together with Cassie to talk about sugar <laughs> because the cravings for alcohol and the cravings for sugar are often uh, intermingled. And I wanted to get her take on it and kind of how her work and my work are align in terms of how we deal with both the physical and the mental aspects of cravings. This is kind of in my series, Alcohol and Alcohol and Sugar. It's not quite the same because I'm not, be, we're not doing a deep dive into the relationship between alcohol and sugar. We're doing a dive on cravings and on sugar cravings and on alcohol cravings and how they intermingle and commingle. So you're going to get a lot out of this. Cassie has developed an urge meditation and it's available and we link it in the show notes. So you'll hear about that. And I think you're just going to love hearing our conversation and use some of the work that Cassie has in terms of whether you're craving sugar, because that's going to be coming, right? The holidays are around the corner or alcohol. I think all of this is applicable. Make it a great week, everyone, and enjoy my conversation with Cassie Christopher. Hey, Cassie, thank you so much for joining me today on the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. This is a conversation that <laughs> we've been talking about having for a while, and I know it's super important right now, especially as we head into the holidays. We are talking about 
sugar, alcohol and sugar, and just, and how they're kind of the, the, the cravings of alcohol and how they kind of relate to the cravings for sugar. So thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I love talking about these topics and, you know, normalizing and destigmatizing. And I know you do too. So, yeah. uh, I think this will be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So you are, um, a dietitian by trade and you talk with women about kind of re I know restructuring the way that they're going about losing weight and things like that. But the real thing that we wanted to talk about is sugar, because this is something that I hear about all the time, whether or not someone actually, I and mean, there has been studies and you and I've dug into them a little bit about many people who have alcohol use disorder, who are truly being treated in a recovery program. There's a lot of crossover in terms of high, high cravings for sugar. So there's obviously there's some sort of biochemical, uh, neurotransmitter situation happening there. I mean, that's, that would, right. I mean, you can't argue with, with those, with those findings, but I think that I want to, I mean, I want to walk that back to just us average normal people who are turning to do alcohol or turning to sugar as a coping strategy. Do you find in your work with people that they, that sugar is something that people want to use in terms of soothing themselves or, you know, is it, is it a physical craving or is it just a, a behavioral type craving? Yes. I love this question. And, you know, first, just for everybody listening the the, my background here is that I help women uh, who've been dieting sometimes for decades and, right. you know, they know all the things uh, and probably are in information overload with everything they know. They don't actually know what to implement. Um, figure out how to have peace with food and their bodies because they're at a place where they're obsessing over both and it's not comfortable anymore. And right. oftentimes one of the things that people are obsessing over uh, in my world is sugar. Yeah. And I have my own story of, you know, being in grad school and being so stressed out because I was the type A perfectionist and didn't know how to do anything less than A plus, you know, mm -hmm. I often think if I could go back and be like, just stop studying a B is okay. <laughs> but I, I, that was not, you know, I, I did not understand that. Um, and I used sugar. I used Theo's dark chocolate for any Pacific Northwesterners <laughs> to cope with, with the stress and the pressure I was putting on myself and this fear of failure and all of the things I would be at the school, uh, convenience store buying that artisanal dark chocolate thinking, well, dark chocolate is good for you. Right. right? Healthy, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and Theo, I'm supporting local and you know, what's bad about that. So I, I just want to start this off by saying I can relate <laughs> to a right. love of sugar. Um, and so what's happening for people is you're exactly right. It's physical, it's behavioral, it's emotional, that sugar is working on some of these same pathways that alcohol is working on. And in particular, yep. you know, people often talk about dopamine, that right. feel good pleasure chemical in the brain. And there's a lot of good research to suggest that uh, dopamine is playing a big role in, in people wanting 
uh, to feel good or, or wanting to get a break and how I often talk about what sugar, you know, what carbs or even what alcohol is doing for us is it's, it's either allowing us to zone out. So we're not even aware of underlying emotions that may have brought us to this place of needing, you know, the, mm-hmm. the substance, I guess we can call right. it. Although that's kind of a, a loaded word itself. Um, or it, it comforts us and we feel better. So either we're, we're, we're not feeling the discomforts, we're zoning out, we're getting that break from the discomfort, or we're feeling better. And that happens from that emotional perspective, that behavioral perspective, that physical, biological brain chemistry perspective. And so it, it works. And that's what we have to recognize. This yeah, works. Right, right. Works. right. Yeah. I, I, interestingly enough, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm actually, I've been reading the book dopamine nation and I'm actually talking to the, its author and yeah. And one of the things that she talks about is what are you getting right? That we have to be able to understand that we are getting something out of our, that whatever our substance, you know, whether it's alcohol or sugar, these high dopamine, um, substances. And I, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it can, and, and the thing of it is though, it's can be a behavior too, right? So anything that generates, cause like, so people would say, I mean, if you're overusing anything that is, is pushing on the dopamine, right. A, a dopamine highly concentrated activities like video games. That's something that people talk about too, right. Or, or social exercise. media or exercise. Yeah. Any of this, if you, yeah, exactly. If you're over, if you're over doing something in any of these areas where you're really, um, eliciting this dopamine response, then you are going to, um, you know, that's it again, it's, it doesn't have to be a substance. It could be something right. But the, um, the idea is that you have to understand that you are getting something out of it, right? You are getting something positive and we have to be able to say, okay, so this is actually, you know, there is, there is something that I'm getting from it. And so, especially with sugar, right? Because I don't know, it seems impractical in this world of ours to, to just cut out sugar altogether. I don't even know if I would ever want to cut out sugar altogether. That seems kind of, I don't know. <laughs> it would be it would be a sad world if I couldn't eat sugar at all, right? Well, and that's so interesting because you know we've talked about some of the research connecting sugar and alcohol. We've talked about dopamine, and there's this really interesting phenomenon called forbidden food syndrome, where you cut out the forbidden foods, and mm-hmm. uh, the research shows then you think about it more. Right. And so what often happens is, and I find, especially for people who've done this again and again, and they, they, they believe that they can never have this thing again. Like, it's really interesting. I was talking to a woman and I suggested she, you know, use some protein powder and as she's buying it, she's thinking, ah, I'm going to have to be buying this protein powder until I'm 80 years old and living on retirement. <laughs> and I don't have enough money, right? Like we, we get into this all or nothing right? and really it, it, it's the all or nothing that is actually the problem because it causes the obsessive thoughts that forbidden food syndrome. And it really disconnects us because we think that the answer is no more sugar, no more, maybe alcohol, no more, whatever. Right. right? Um, no more exercise. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we, we think, right. That the solution is to cut the thing out. And so what we lose is that wonderful question, 
you know, what was the benefit you were getting? Essentially, what is it that you need? Right. What, how, what is it that your body, that your mind, that you personally are needing? Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's care for some of these emotions. Maybe it's boundaries. Maybe it's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. The answer is cutting out the thing. You actually are severing your connection with uh, with, with your body, with what you need, you know, this, this really sacred connection that many of us, you know, and and back when I was using chocolate in this way, I sure was not connected to what I needed, or I would have taken a good hard look at what I was doing to myself because I ended up in my second year of grad school, you know, and waking up in the middle of the night, I was standing in my bedroom, my husband's sleeping, I was, I woke up standing and screaming, my nervous system was so uh, activated, messed right. up, right? Like, but I was ignoring it. I, I, yeah. I did nothing to care for myself. It was all about getting these A's. And so that all or nothing was really the villain. And not to say that you can't, you know, I know uh, dry January, right? Or, you know, there's there's times maybe where stepping away from things is going to be helpful. But I really believe the only way you're going to be successful in that is if you're also doing the inventory of what is it that you need. Just loving the dogs, everyone. If you can hear the dogs, I don't know. You can't hear I, I did not hear them. But well, I'm really glad, Cassie. So yeah, <laughs> welcome to the world of real life podcasting, everyone. Um, so this is, I love that you brought all that up. I love that you said the black, the all or nothing, because of course, here in my world of alcohol, this is one of the ongoing perpetuated belief systems for, you know, uh, <laughs> put out there by AA in terms yeah. of, um, and so people really, um, get into this mindset. And there, there's a lot of, uh, of crossover too, with sugar, I can see because it, in terms of this idea that people can't, uh, you know, they can't moderate it. Right. So like, if you see somebody who's maybe who's really got a high weight problem, right. There could be, you could get some judgment there of like, well, they just can't, they're simply not able to control themselves. They're not able to right? same kind of thing. They're broken, sick, diseased. It's not, And you have to remember that it's, that there is no, that I love what you said, because that being in tune with ourselves and really allowing ourselves to understand that we're not really, really going for the cookie or the dark chocolate or, or the drink, right? We're going for what we believe we are getting from that substance. We believe that there is something that it's solving for us emotionally. And I mean, I think most people do. I mean, some people that's, it's funny because there will, I will get into this conversation with people and they're like, no, I just, I really just like wine. I just really like wine. And I'm sure you hear the same thing. No, I just really like cookies. Like I really like, right. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. Or it's just a habit. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's just, it's just, I just do it. I don't, I can't, it's not something right. It's not that I'm really trying to solve for anything emotionally. It's just that blah, 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 whatever that is. And here's what I say to it's just a habit. And I'll give you this. This is such a weird example, but it's what I've come up with. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Let's say for some reason you weren't supposed to brush your teeth. I think brushing your teeth is the quintessential habit. Hopefully we all do it twice a day (laughs) without thinking, right? Uh, Let's say, you, you know, for whatever reason, I remember in college, a friend of mine was in a study of green tea and he wasn't allowed to brush his teeth. So let's say you're in this study, the kind of stupid things you do in college, right? And, uh, and 
you're not supposed to brush your teeth, but it's such a habit you do to do. It's the morning you go into the bathroom, you put your uh, toothpaste on your toothbrush and you start to stick your toothbrush in your mouth and you're halfway there and you're like, ah, oh my gosh, no, oh, I'm not supposed to brush my teeth today. How funny, you know, you rinse the toothpaste off, you put it back, you just walk away and there's absolutely no emotional attachment to whether or not you brushed your teeth. Okay. Yeah. What often happens in particular with sugar is imagine that it's 9 p.m. You're watching something on Netflix. You've gone into the kitchen kind of scavenging and you've got a bowl full of chocolate chips that you're sharing, mm -hmm. you know, with your partner. You're sitting on the couch uh, and you're eating these chocolate chips. And all of a sudden you go, oh, wait, I wasn't I was trying not to eat, you know, the sugar. I was trying not to eat after dinner, whatever. You realize you're doing it. If it was a habit and there was no emotional attachment, you would get up, you would throw right. the chocolate chips away or you'd right. whatever, and you would sit back down and watch the TV and it'd be nothing. But the truth is there's biology happening. So you may actually be hungry. I find a lot of people just aren't eating enough during the day and that fuels a lot of nighttime cravings. There is, you know, a, a stress there. So there's biology happening with stress hormones that are causing some panic that are lead, right. leading you to go eat the thing. There's the emotional release. There's the, you know, the routine, the, the emotional routine of this is what I do with, with my partner, yada, yada, yada. So it's not just a habit. Actually, the, right. what are you getting, you know, back to that question is you're getting a lot from these chocolate chips and they're right. serving a function. And what I find often happens, Molly, and, and I think this is so important to, to bring up is people go, this is just a habit and I'm just a loser because I can't stop the habit, but right. wait, 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 wait. It's not you. You are literally uh, trying to fight all of this biology and this, you know, emotional, you know, right. I don't want to say nonsense, but the emotional undertones and everything. There's a, actually a lot going on with these Netflix chocolate chips. And so when you can recognize what's going on, then what I hope that can do, and, and this is one of my uh, four pillars of my courage to trust method is lead you to self-compassion because really we experience so much shame around our behaviors, around food and alcohol mm -hmm. um, and self-compassion is, you know, one of the ways to heal that so that we can actually, instead of blaming ourselves, start to problem solve a little bit and go, okay, yeah. what are the chocolate chips doing for me? And, and how can I meet these needs in different ways? Yeah. Oh, well, you're preaching to the choir, Cassie, because I, we talk all about over here, compassion and curiosity, right? Wonderful. Compassion. I use those two phrases together, compassion and curiosity. The thing that's really important in that phrase, I mean, well, they're both important compassion and, but the curiosity, because we really want to understand, we really want to, again, dive into what is going on here. It isn't just, I love everything you just said, really breaking that down because when people just tell you, oh, it's just a habit. Oh, I just like this too much. It's, you know, we have to be willing to do the work to dive into it a little deeper because real sustainable, at least from my perspective, if you really want to change a relationship, right? Because that's kind of what you talk about too, right? It's actually changing the relationship you have with food, changing the relationship you have with sugar, changing the relationship you have with alcohol. It's going to require more than just simply 
changing your routine, changing your, you know, changing your activities, not, not allowing yourself to, um, to eat the chocolate chips, right? It's got to be, there's more to it. If you really want you, cause everybody can willpower their way through, right? We can willpower our way through for a while until we're standing up in the middle of the night screaming because we're not really actually addressing yeah. what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And what I call this is the courage to trust, you know, in that, that idea that it's something deeper, it's not about the willpower. It's not about the distraction techniques, you know, that you right. might employ. It's about having the courage to trust that you're actually doing the best you can in that moment. So you're not a failure. You're not a loser. You're simply using all the tools you have and all the resources you have to do the best you can. And sometimes the best you can is not the outcome you want. And so then you get to look inside and you get to trust that you're going to be able to discover what your needs are and you're going to be able to meet those needs. And it takes so much faith. And that's why the word trust is in here because you have to trust that you are good and that your body is good and it's going to care for you and tell you what you need. And, you know, that's so different from these models of, you know, the, the word addiction often thrown around, right. That, that makes you believe that your body's got something wrong. It's broken. It's out to get you. But, but what I'm saying, the solution is here is actually to trust that your body is good and it's, it's, it's for you and it's trying to care for you the best it can. And oftentimes, you know, those chocolate chips are your body doing the best it can to care for you. And, and like we've talked about for many reasons, that is a good job. And so the courage to trust here means that you understand that you're doing the best you can. And if it's not what you want it to be, that you, you you realize you need some more support, that you need some more, you know, something, you need some help. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're broken or wrong or screwed up or messed up, but rather that you just need some more resources. Yeah. One of the things that I talk about with my folks, and I'm wondering if this is something that would work for, for sugar as well. <laughs> okay. Let's just call a spade a spade. The, the, the holidays bring up a lot of sugar opportunities, right? <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. And so, and, or overeating opportunities, just unplanned uh, celebratory, you know, just food that we may not normally consume, right? Yeah. Same thing for alcohol, lots of different opportunities for over consuming in, in these ways. And so one of the ways that I work with people is I really ask them to plan ahead of time so that they're putting a plan in place so that they're using their, and I, you talk about your body. I talk about this, our beautiful, brilliant human brains and how we have to trust our beautiful, brilliant, you know, know that we have the power within our beautiful, brilliant human brains to, to work on these, these relationships and engaging that prefrontal cortex and really making plans with our long-term, you know, that align with our long-term goals is, and just, but I also talk about meeting this, meeting myself where I'm at, creating a doable plan, because what I see people trying to do is put in a re unrealistic plan, right? Okay. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to a party, but I, you know, I don't want to be, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to have one drink because that's what I really believe that I should be doing instead of like, okay, well, 
I really just have been drinking like normally at a party, I'd have three or four instead of, you know what I mean? So they're trying to restrict, they come at it from a restriction. Like I'm going to do this instead mm-hmm. of meeting themselves where they're at. Okay. I, I was really long-winded. Sorry. But <laughs> the, the point being that creating a doable plan ahead of time and one that they feel 80 to 90% confident. So does that align with kind of what you would agree with in terms of kind of, I mean, we don't, maybe we don't know what's going to be at the party for, for sugar, but we can kind of have a little bit of a plan in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I think of, I mean, I agree with you. I love the 80 to 90% confident. I mean, how, what a gift to feel like you can do something. And I bet many of us aren't confident about I'm going to eat one sugar cookie, you know, right, or what, right. one drink. Um, what I think of in that scenario is coming out from a little different angle is um, the first pillar of my courage to trust method is calming the nervous system. And oftentimes when I'm talking to people about these holiday parties, there's a lot of anxiety around it. You know, maybe there's social anxiety. Maybe there's, I mean, I feel like everyone has social anxiety after the pandemic. I don't care if right? you're an introvert, <laughs> an extrovert, you know what I mean? Like, I go in places with a lot of people and I'm like, and it's, yeah, you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to get COVID, you know, <laughs> if right. anything, right? Um, so, but the point being here, a lot of people are having anxiety about the, the, the alcohol, the sugar, the whatever it is before they even get there. And so yep. this is a charged situation, a loaded situation. And so what I'm often working with people on is, Um, actually calming their nervous systems. Because if you are calm and centered, you can walk in and you can go, you know, you can connect with what you need, what you want. Maybe you want to sample a couple cookies or, you know, so-and-so brought the best thing ever that you never get at any other time of year. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. it's somebody's special eggnog or, you know what I mean? Right. Right. There's these things that you cannot get at any other time of year at the holidays that you might be really excited about. And so I talk about with people, you know, when you're calm, then you can go into that situation and go, wow, I'm super excited about this thing. I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it. And you're able to set healthy boundaries for yourself in a way that doesn't feel like deprivation, but feels like, yeah, I'm going to have just two glasses of eggnog to your point of, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. more realistic goal. And then I'm going to cap it because that eggnog is very strong and I'm going to feel terrible tomorrow if I have any more. So you're setting these boundaries for yourself from a place of care and love and meeting your needs and savoring and having fun. But you can really only do that when you're calm. And to your point about the brain, you can only access that prefrontal cortex when you're calm as well. Because if you're in fight or flight, that is not the part of your brain you're accessing. So, you know, I agree with you about making these plans. And and I, I think a lot of it has to do with the spirit uh, of the, that you kind of walk into the situation with, like, is it a spirit of deprivation? Is it a spirit of empowerment and meeting your needs and having fun, but also setting these healthy, beautiful boundaries for yourself because you, you know, can trust yourself to honor your boundaries. And I'll just say one more thing. It takes people a while after working with me before they can trust themselves to honor their boundaries. So you may have been at a place where you couldn't trust yourself to honor your boundaries to yourself. And and it's been decades of this or however long. And so there's often some repair that we need to do there. And I'm sure this is what you're doing as well. 
um, with, like you said, your relationship to the alcohol, the sugar, your body, like we need to repair that so that you can trust yourself and walk into that situation confidently. Hey all, just a quick break in the show to talk with you for a minute about Sunnyside. It's fall and it's time for tailgaters and holiday parties on the horizon. There is never a better time than right now to put a mindful plan into place. And Sunnyside is my recommendation for how you can really use a tool that provides a way to track your drinks, measure your progress, and really uses proven behavior change techniques to create lasting habit change. The thing is, you can reduce your drinking by 30% in the first 30 days with Sunnyside. And you can save over $50 a month, cut out 2,500 calories out of your diet. And these are just based on average results. I know that people that I talk to and people that I work with are using Sunnyside and getting great results. If you'd like to find out if it will work for you, go to www.sunnyside.co slash minimalist to get started on a free 15-day trial today. Okay, Cassie, I have to ask now because you've mentioned a couple of them and I just want to hear all four pillars, please. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because I really, because I really see, I'm sure that they align, whether it's sugar or alcohol, I bet you that there's, they, they, they're valuable. So shoot. Thank you. And that's why I love talking to you, Molly, because you and I are always like, oh yeah, uh-huh. I talk about that too. Oh yeah. yeah I talk about right? that too. Um, so yes, the courage to trust method where you're trusting that you're doing the best you can and you may just need some more support that so the best you can looks like your goals. The first pillar is calming your nervous system. We've already talked about the importance of that. The second is self-compassion and that's going to help you, you know, not only be kind to yourself, but actually problem solve without you being the problem. You could problem solve Mm -hmm. real problems. And then the third is listening to yourself. And so you've already heard me talk about what are your needs, meeting those needs, and it can take, you really have to do the other two first. You have to be calm. You have to be kind before you can listen, because otherwise all you hear is, Uh, your nervous system, right? Like freaking out and you hear, you know, I'm such a loser. And so I was going to say, or the negative self-talk, right? Yeah, that's right. Before you can listen, you have to do the other pieces. And then the fourth part of this method is, you know, the, the secret sauce of working with a registered dietitian, which is medical nutritional therapy, where I, once people are able to make consistently healthy choices, which is really what we're looking for, you know, getting off this all or nothing hamster wheel where we're either eating or drinking none of the things or eating or drinking all of the things, right? Um, That then we can do some medical nutritional therapy. So we can start to address maybe decreasing risk for diabetes or treating, you know, some high cholesterol or, you know, brain health. Like we can actually get really uh, targeted in our nutrition and lifestyle recommendations once somebody, and you mentioned weight loss, obesity as well. Once someone has these other pieces in place, so it's, they can go to a party and have two sugar cookies and feel okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, like I said, I knew it was, I'm sh- I was sure that it would all kind of align that maybe the last one isn't, but it does in a way, because one of the things, you know, I just did a, I just did an episode last week on 
like, can we separate the numbers? Right. And so the, the numbers out of, out of a moderation plan and why for me, there's never you, I mean, alcohol is a chemical substance. It's a known toxin, right? So, and just like that, for some of the, the nutritional stuff that you're talking about, there's, there's reasons that we want to pay attention to the numbers and to the actual, you know, to the data. Right. And so while the mindset work and while the calming of the, you know, all of that stuff is, is foundational, there's never a time there. We have to be able to be willing to accept that there is, there is science here involved and there is numbers and there is data and there is nutritional. I mean, for, you know, as in, in the nutrition world, there's reasons that we care right about (laughs) what we're ingesting. We need to care about it. Yeah. I mean, a very relevant example that I can think of is uh, alcohol use decreases your B vitamins and B vitamins are so critical to not only brain health and the way your brain functions, but your uh, stress management, um, stress and cortisol decrease and deplete these B vitamins as well. And so if you, you don't have the B vitamins you need for your stress management system to be healthy and functioning in your body, you know, obviously it's, it's kind of a chicken or the egg, like the, the system starts to, to fall apart. And so certainly these things all go together and, you know, it's really the art and science, right? Like the, the, the science piece, but then there's really the art piece here of your relationship right. with food and, and what feels like a softer skill, but is just as important because oftentimes when we try to approach these things with black and white, like numbers sometimes lend uh, themselves to when we have this black and white thinking, this all or nothing thinking, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so we have to be able to, and I know you and I talk about this, sit with some of the gray. And, you know, this is something that uh, part of the self-compassion and listening to yourself is actually sitting with discomfort. You know, what is that thing that you're trying to avoid with the alcohol or the sugar. And, and, you know, if it's the anxiety of a social situation, or if it's uh, just not wanting to feel stressed after the uh, long day, you know, with my Netflix and chocolate chips example, Uh um, whatever it is. And, you know, you, you said you've just been reading dopamine nation. She talks about this as well, that the problem is when we keep trying to get more dopamine with these substances, activities, whatever, right. Um, Our bodies were made to be in homeostasis or balance between pleasure and pain. And so if we keep hitting the pleasure side of things, Mm -hmm. uh, the body is going to ramp up the pain, whether that be emotionally with things like depression, anxiety, da, 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 or it be physically with like actual pain. Um, It's really interesting. And so part of the solution, and, and nobody really wants to hear this, I'll be honest with you. Um, but this is part of self-compassion is actually being able to validate and hold space for and experience your own suffering rather than to get away from it. And I use the S word and I want everyone to think for a moment, what is the thing you're suffering with right now? And immediately I know most of you are saying, I'm not suffering no, I'm not suffering. That's, that's too big of a word. Maybe I'm a little uncomfortable about this. Maybe I'm, but the reality is yes. Okay. Comparatively, there are people suffering worse than you. Sure. Right. But that doesn't mean that you aren't suffering. And I have to 
I have to work with my clients sometimes to go, you're suffering, (laughs) (laughs) shake you by the shoulders, you know, virtually you are suffering, you are struggling and that's okay. And the reason food, alcohol, whatever it is, is working so well is because it's disconnecting you from your suffering. You don't have to experience it. But if you want to move forward without the alcohol and the food, you actually have to experience your suffering which is uncomfortable. There's ways to do it. I use mindfulness-based self-compassion as, you know, the theoretical framework I help my clients um, do this with. Uh, There's ways to do it that aren't as bad as just sitting and feeling bad things. Um, But it's, it's, it's a prerequisite. It's, it's part of the journey. Yeah, for sure. I talk, I mean, so I have the behavior map result cycle and basically it, it explains everything that we do in our lives and, it really is a process of understanding how our thoughts create our feelings and understanding where those thoughts, and sometimes those thoughts are unconscious and they're, they're not, we don't know they're happening, but we have to be willing to, to deliver and to, to delve into them, but also to understand that we are, and I agree with you completely, we're, we're, we're capable, like a feeling where we, we run away from big feelings. We run away from, we don't want to have to experience, you know, boredom and discomfort and stress and anxiety and mm-hmm. depression and all these big, what we would term negative emotions, right? Instead of just holding space and allowing ourselves to understand that life's going to be 50, 50, we're going to have to experience some of this negative stuff. And really, if we allow ourselves to do it, and we really work into understanding what is creating the feeling in the first place, once I understood how much agency I had in determining how I felt about things, I used to really run around at the effect of my emotions. Like I just was constantly in this state of, of overwhelm. And I, 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 joke that I was constantly dramatic. Like everything was, you know, it was just, everything was big. Everything was like, Oh, my life is so hard. It's so stressful, blah, blah, blah. Right. I had this ongoing story that actually drove the feeling of overwhelm, (laughs) but I was so disconnected from it. I did not understand how much I was actually fueling it myself. And so that's when, and, and also feeling the desire, right. I did not understand how some of my simple thoughts and permission giving thoughts and things that I just were running in the background actually fueled my desire to drink. And I'm sure that it is similar. And I, I know that this work is really, um, paralleled because I use a lot of my own work in my own relationship with food and stuff, because I have a longstanding habit that I, you know, some of this stuff is, is old, right? It's old habits. It's old things. I, I, I have in my book, I share about the fact that I had my, I kind of had a longstanding habit of coming in the door from elementary school and sitting down with chips and I mean, yeah, this chips and a soda. Yes. My mom, you know, a plus for giving me like, but it regardless, I mean, that habit was very established and I did not for a long time, like I still, to this day, like I really have to stay mindful or I will just dive into a bag of chips and it'll be gone before I realize it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that speaks to, you know, the, there's the old patterns, the old habits, those old pathways in the brain. They don't seem to actually go away according to the research there. No, they there. don't. And I think, yeah. And I think we have to, we have to understand that they're always going to be there. People, yeah. you know what I mean? The urge to overeat or the urge to eat a bag of chips is probably always going to be there. And I just have to be like, it just has to be okay. Like that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. That just means that, oh, that's a habit that I learned a whole, a long time ago. I love that. You know, what does healing look like? And oftentimes again, because people are coming into this with an all or nothing mindset and they're being sold, you know, especially around dieting and, and culture, like, Oh, you eliminate cravings, you know, get, get rid of right. these things. Um, you'll never have them again. You'll never deal with this again. And the reality is, and, and I, you know, written whole blog posts about this to show people what, what healing looks like for me, you know, with sugar, I've told you all about my Theo's chocolate obsession in college. <laughs> of course, I still love Theo's chocolate. Um, and, you know, luckily my relationship with that is such that I really can have it around and, and have a piece now and again, but what will happen is occasionally I will go, I need to go to the store. I need to get in my car right now. And I need to go get a pint of Frankie and Joe's chocolate tahini super cookie ice cream, which is like ridiculously expensive and so unbelievably good. Um, I need to go get that right this minute. Okay. Another artisanal <laughs> right. local supplier of something <laughs> delicious. And when I have to go right this minute and it's eight 30 and it's raining out, you know what I mean? I stop and go, wow, isn't that interesting? You know, to your curiosity, right? isn't that a very strong craving that feels like it's coming out of nowhere? Why don't I go do the things I need to do to care for myself? And one of the things I do, and I'd love to offer this to your audience, is I use this audio guide um, that comes from the mindfulness-based self-compassion movement. And I've um, uh, adjusted it to have to do with food and, you know, strategies that have worked for my clients over the years. And so you can download for free at my website, cassiechristopher.net forward slash free, this, uh, 10 minute audio guide that you can listen to. And what's so amazing about it. I mean, really I use it myself when I'm struggling, all of my clients use it and it gets you from that point of having the craving so strong that you're ready to get in the car, you know, in a blizzard to go get the thing <laughs> you need, right. Um, to going now, wait a minute, I'm feeling a little calmer. I can think about this. And it walks you through those pillars, the, the calming yourself down, the being kind to yourself, the listening to yourself and introspection to really understand what you need so that by the end of the 10 minutes, you can, can access that logical part of your brain again. So that's available to, to everyone I, I want to offer in your audience. Again, cassiechristopher.net forward slash free. And it's an audio guide that you listen to in the moment when you're about to jump in your car to go buy ice cream or, you know, when you're about or to when get you're off going the couch. To, yeah. Or when you're, you know, this is, that's, that craving situation is certainly relevant for, for sugar and also for alcohol. So I know that folks, please cassiechristopher.net slash free because that audio, I can't wait to listen to that. I haven't gotten a chance to listen, but I know. And you know, the, the holidays are, they are a coming. And this is a time frame when, when these kind of things will really, these tools and these strategies and, um, all of it will come into play so much more often for everyone. And so, 
it is just fantastic to have you here today, Cassie, to really share this work, because I know again, so much of it aligns it's alcohol, it's sugar. It's the, the, it's the gray area kind of thinking that we really want to get people into understanding there is no right, wrong, black, white, good, bad choices. There's only better choices. There's, there's, there's taking care of ourselves, being compassionate, curious. And I just love everything that you, I love everything. I love talking to you, Cassie. We're here to do this again. Yes, (laughs) for sure. For sure. So fun. So check it out, folks. Go, go learn more about Cassie and her work, her courage to trust program. If you're struggling with your relationship with food for sure, but just in terms of downloading that audio, cause I, I know that for many of us, this will be a great tool for uh, navigating these stressful holiday situations, these big parties, these big sugar um, experiences, alcohol experiences, et cetera. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And, um, I guess I hope everyone can give that a listen to get some help in the moment when you're struggling. And it's really the most uncomfortable to be in that place where, you know, whether you realize it or not, you're trying to use the food, the alcohol to do something for you. And, you know, you're also trying to resist and that it creates a feeling of panic in your body. And it's one of in my experience, one of the most uncomfortable feelings. Um, and so it makes sense to me why we just dig in. And so, uh, you know, this is my gift to you to, to have something you can do that actually helps you feel better in that moment. Cause ugh, it's like a skin, anyone who's been there knows it's like a skin crawling experience to, yep. <laughs> you know, try to put some distance between the impulse and the, the reaction. Awesome. Well, very, very great. And I just really appreciate you taking the time today, Cassie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you change your drinking habits and to create a peaceful relationship with alcohol. Use something you learned in today's episode and apply it to your life this week. Transformation is possible. You have the power to change your relationship with alcohol now. For more information, please visit me at www.mollywatts.com.